welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy? Coomer, I, I learned earlier today that the Bearcats accomplished something incredible this season. Uh, they played earlier in the year uh, Detroit Mercy. And they have a player there who I'm sure to butcher his name because that's what I do with names I don't particularly know how to pronounce. But Antoine Davis, I feel like, I feel like that's the name I'm looking for here. Well done. Um, is on the verge of potentially becoming college basketball's leading all-time scorer. Who would have knew that the Bearcats beat the Division One men's basketball all-time score? That's, that's the highlight of the season. That's what I'm taking away from it. You can't take that away from us. That is an accomplishment. It is a weird day, a weird great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat basketball fan. I'm proud of you. Someone's got to find the silver lining with this season. Someone's got to find the positives, the shreds of hope and belief and optimism. And, and that sounds like one of them. Hummer, not only do we play the Detroit Mercy Titans and Antoine Davis, the Bearcats mauled him. They shut him down, held him to six of 20 shooting in that game, 17 points, well under his scoring average on the season. He had five turnovers in the game. He, he was absolutely thwarted by DeJulius, Adams Woods, and what we what has become during conference play a much more, that might be a stretch, a much better defense overall. Um, but that was one of the one of the big victories of the season, I suppose, was shutting down Antoine Davis this year. How are you doing, buddy? How are things going for you? You're coming back from your hiatus in Florida. We got to talk to you on the AirPods, which was a different type of experience. You're rested. You're tan. The color looks good. Where's your head at as as since he slang and enters a new era of Bearcat coverage? having officially announced and joined and partnered with a group of guys to start the Cat Skeller Social Club. How are you feeling, sir, about the big announcement this week? You know what? It's it's about time that someone has decided to take on the likes of the traditional and even fringe media networks you know, someone needs to take on WLW and stop their reign of terror, right? Their reign of unabashed optimism, their the tyranny that they put us all through of just absolutely doing whatever it is that the higher ups at the university tell them to. And some of the other media outlets who just feign praise upon those that feign praise in any way, shape or form upon them. Uh, you know, a group of individuals not afraid to talk about beer not afraid to just talk about how they're feeling as fans, you know, whether you're upset, whether you're, you know, happy, you know, obviously we can be happy. Look, we beat Detroit mercy. Great, great victory, you know, but we lost the temple the first time around. That was miserable. You know, we can't even sniff. We can barely sniff Houston's rear end. You know, I think Houston's a team we haven't beaten three years, Memphis, a team we haven't beaten three years. It's getting tough. But guess what? The social is here. Cat Skeller is here. If you guys remember Cat Skeller, we're here to go bowling. 
<laughs> I think it's exciting. I, I know we're being a bit tongue in cheek, a bit facetious, but the reality is we looked at the at the the situation in Bearcats coverage, and it's not like there's a shortage of podcasts or content or or personalities and people talking about the team. But what we did see was that over the course of several years, Cincy Slangin, Viva La Cats, Go Bearcats, three independent fan perspective podcasts with a wide variety of perspectives, frankly. Like there's there's obviously been verbose conversations over the years on this podcast, different uh, differences in opinion. And what we saw was an opportunity to bring them together, make a bit of a, a splash from a splash might be the wrong word, but a, a bit of a, a, I think bringing, bringing us together and putting these entities in the same place is, uh, is smart when it comes to offering people various perspectives without any sort of gatekeeping, without any sort of agenda other than a, a raw unabashed love of Cincinnati Bearcats sports. And so I think that's what you're going to find in this community and this network. I, I look forward to it growing. It's definitely being driven by our discord server right now, more than anything else. I think that's been a fun little network to see grow. So I would certainly encourage people to jump on there and check it out. But we also intend to, to launch the the website here shortly, cat uh, club, where we'll start having some more written content out there. It's going to be opinion based. It's going to be, you know, fans of the team who like writing about the team, whether it be an individual player, a team, a game, um, or or unnecessary and completely unasked for rankings across Big Twelve sports. These things, these things will exist on there, and I think it could be a, a quite a fun experience and inter- very interactive communal experience for Bearcats fans. The Discord. It's fast growing. It's a lot. Of, there's a lot of, I love how there's so many active contributors there, but I think that the key here is sometimes as a bear, like as a Cincinnati sports fan, or at least the way my life has gone lately, I look for coverage in very few sports. as well. Like I don't have time to watch every NBA game, right? I don't have time to watch every NFL game. And I sure as hell don't have all the time to watch every single college basketball game. All I care about is Cincinnati Bearcats right now news. And I would just want it 24 seven. And by taking the cat scale or social club and, and bringing in all these different content creators, I think it's just another way that we can help create hours of content where, you know, when we're, when we're regularly contributing and, you know, and when we're at our peak and we're doing one, two podcasts a week, Viva La Cats doing one, two podcasts a week, if not more, go beer cats. Like there, there could be, you know, nine, 10, 11 hours of content just being produced there. And then unlimited interactivity with all the content creators through, through Cats Gallery and hell. Sometimes I've been like a ghost from this from this, from this app for, for a good month because of, of, of school and work and everything, but you come back, you don't miss a beat. I'm pumped about it. And plus Catskiller social club just has a really nice ring to it. It does have a nice ring to it. And the Catskiller was, it was a beloved place for us. We spent many a night there, uh, many a day Snu- sometimes. <laughs> snuck, snuck into a, a few UC Bearcat games. Uh, when student tickets had sold out back in the day, snuck family in, snuck friends in. Also, one time, true story, 
uh, starter jackets. Anybody remember those guys snuck a whole case of beer in through Cat Skeller with one of those things on. Cat Skeller, many a good memory, many a good memory. And there you have it. And also a hack for entering Bearcat football games back during the prime years of Brian Kelly and Butch Jones. Um, I, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. There's going to be consistent content coming from us, but I also think that um, the content's going to sound different. You know, Justin and Steve over at Viva La Cat sound a lot different than Hummer and I. Brandon has a completely different spin on things with incorporating beer. And, you know, I would say he's got a much calmer and, and level-headed demeanor than the rest of us. So I think the fact that it all sounds different, the fact that it all has has its own personality to it is a good thing. And then if you want to hop on Discord and and go back and forth with us about how wrong we are in something, or just get on there to talk to folks in the Bearcat community and and connect with people across America or the world with regard to Bearcat sports, I think that's what this has the potential of being is sort of a connective tissue for Bearcat fans wherever you're located. Um, we've got people in Chicago, Nashville, Phoenix, Cincinnati, Brooklyn. I mean, you want you want to be able to to feel like you're still in Clifton, hopping over to Murphy's after a big win, and and that's what I think the Catskeller Social Club is going to give people the feeling of. So excited to do it! Excited to be joining forces with Viva and with Go Bearcats, and we'll see what the future holds, my friend. Let's get oh, in. Am I supposed to? Am I supposed to say something there? <laughs> typically, typically in 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 the industry, typically when the uh, the host looks down and sort of winds down a thought, what the co-host would typically do, and I think what you would have done in your heyday is you would have filibustered there as I pulled out my notes and transitioned into the what we would call the meat of the conversation. I just expected you as a as a fine primary host to just, you know, dive right into the meat. You know, what are we trying to do here? Are we really trying to eat the mashed potatoes before we get into the prime juicy steak? I don't think that's what we're here for. All right. So tell me what's up next. I don't know. Are you, I'm not sure if you're intentionally baiting me or not, but at some <laughs> no, point I'm, I'm baiting you for later. <laughs> as as Elon Musk would say. What do you get when you are a master baiter? <laughs> <laughs> Folks, I I had never had and been to a Jeff Ruby Steakhouse before. I had my first experience last weekend. I have thoughts. I have thoughts. They might surprise you. I'm I I don't I'm almost speechless about the matter, but over the course of this podcast, I hope to to gather myself, shake off this trolling job by Hummer. And and share with you what I thought about my first experience at a Ruby's establishment. But alas, Hummer, let's get into the Bearcats last game and do a quick recap here or a quick discussion about what we saw against the Bearcats road loss at Memphis, 76-73. Heading into the game, the conversation in Discord was, was whether the Bearcats were on a heater heading into the game against Memphis or simply heating up. I would say the consensus was that we were heating up heading into Memphis uh, with a, with a two-game winning streak over Temple and over Central Florida. That, unfortunately, did not spill over into Memphis, where the Bearcats came out flat-footed and were completely 
blown off the court in the first half. And and honestly, lucky to be down only 11 at halftime. The Bearcats were throwing the ball all over the place. I think it was 11 turnovers in the first half, nine in the second half. Somehow, some way, the Bearcats stayed in this game and were able to close the gap and were able to legitimately have an opportunity to steal this game at Memphis at the end. But due to a, a variety of circumstances, be it um, a completely erroneous goaltending call against Odio Guama on a Kendrick, Kendrick Davis layup attempt or missing the front end of a, of a one-on-one by both Micah Adams-Woods and Jeremiah Davenport, our best two free throw shooters. Unfortunately, the Bearcats were not able to actually close it out and did end up losing by three. You having a chance to watch this game poolside, sipping on daiquiris. What's your top line takeaway from what you saw against Memphis on Sunday? Uh, well, the first takeaway I was sitting here thinking to myself, you know, with probably about seven minutes left is, oh, cool. I'm going to get back to the pool early and not really have to pay attention to this game all that much. And frankly, that's what I started to do. Uh, I started wandering it out. And then eventually, you know, like it got down to like, you know, we started pulling in within seven. We were, you know, flirting with six. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to really pay attention to this. I'm really going to try to enjoy this. And then it just was like looking worse and worse for a while, just flirting with, flirting with the edge of like irrelevance in this game to getting a few lucky breaks. And the first one, obviously, that, you know, we're, I'm going to talk about. If we're skipping over the one-on-ones, you already hit it. You can't do that in close games. Um, as part of that, I think the problem with this game is we we like we saved it all for the last 90 seconds uh, of trying to be competitive. And but on the inbounds play, where we we throw the ball down to Victor Locken, who chucks up a three that bounces off the backboard for a what, what might be the best three-point shot I've ever seen in my life. Uh, fantastic <laughs> absolutely wonderful to the following play when we chucked the ball down the court we caught it in a in a position i believe it was right at the right at the top uh, of the free right throw at, line yeah right outside of the free throw line basically. and i'm like what was the point of that and i, I listened to the espn announcers uh com- calmly announced that it is impossible to get a dribble and shot off with 0.4 seconds. And I immediately thought, well, someone should tell that to UConn. Uh, someone should explain that to the AAC refs back in that day. But apparently no one got the memo that it's impossible to, to shoot, uh, turn and shoot with 0.4 when I think UConn did it with 0.1. I don't know. Just <laughs> I think the U- tapes. Well, I think the, I think they were saying you couldn't catch and shoot with 0.1 seconds. Once they, added a couple tenths of a second on there 0.4 you are going to have time to get a shot off but or do you have time i didn't like i didn't like i didn't like how that that was the play you did the same play twice of throwing it down to try and and oh but honestly just go and make the chuck make the heave make the heave from half court i guess yeah you're right i would i guess you prefer to at least get a shot up but at the same time did it really matter are we weren't gonna no at that point at that point there were 39 and 39 minutes of of basketball that had been played 39 minutes plus and the Bearcats had put themselves in a position to to not have an op- a legitimate opportunity to win based on free throws based on turnovers and, and based on allowing Memphis to to play the game on their terms Memphis from start to finish from my perspective drove drove the car they determined how this game would be played 
They they saw early on when the Bearcats got the ball down low to Victor Locke and got the ball down low to Odio Guama. These guys can beat us up inside and they can score on us consistently if we let the ball get down low. Well, how do you stop that from happening? Well, we're going to ball pressure like hell. We're going to expose your guard play from, from Mike Adams-Woods to David DeJulius to Landers Nolly to, to Jeremiah Davenport. We're going to demonstrate that you really don't have the ball handlers necessary to combat a ferocious, persistent um, defense that, that doesn't give an inch. And that's what you saw where you see Landers Nolly turn it over five times, getting blindsided by Lomax. Um, you know, I think on back-to-back possessions for easy runouts, you saw Adams Woods fail to get the type of penetration that we have been accustomed to seeing from him. And, and to me, it completely threw the Bearcats out of their game plan. It basically took Lockin and Oguama out of the equation. And even the few times we got the ball to Lockin down low after that, he even ended up with four turnovers. So to me, it's a testament to the defense that Penny Hardaway has his team playing. Um, the style of basketball he has his team playing and the fact that the Bearcats didn't really have an answer for that ball pressure and that intensity that should be expected for a team like Memphis who's playing for their tournament lives at this point. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the stat lines, you know, before you get to the turnover column, you're wondering how you lost this game. He shot 50% from the field. You out-rebounded on 39-29. to we had an amazing assist game, so we were moving the ball, passing the ball, finding open opportunities. But like you said, we turned the ball over 20 times. You know, Victor Locken had four turnovers. That's half half as many, you know, half the points that he had. Uh, you know, Oguama, both our big men, you know, turno- turnover city. Uh, Landers Nolly, just I don't know if maybe it was the pressure of returning to FedEx Forum. You know, it's it's too hard to, to airmail. He's airmailing too many passes into the bleachers. I don't know what it is there, but, you know, it wasn't a great game by, by Landers. And is this has kind of been, I think, the, the thing all year with these particular cats is we get to, quote, unquote, the big games against the big the big boys of the, of the conference, the good teams in the tournament, like or the, the tournament caliber teams that we played all season, and we just fail to execute. And we're so inconsistent. And that's been what's been the frustrating part about this year is we see – sometimes some really fun basketball we see them make the extra pass we see you know david and julius instead of taking a jump a step back three for a final shot drive it in with the little lollipop you know floater for for the game winner you know we've seen these flashes of like of, of these cats making some great decisions but then we see just terrible terrible basketball on the flip side of the coin and the inconsistency is what's it's what's really getting getting to be frustrating. Um, you know, we said going into this game after UCF that you know you're saying, are we heating up? You know, we're we're on fire if we beat Memphis. Well, I I remember saying that to beat Memphis is what we have to do for me to come out and start saying, you know what, I really think we can win the AAC tournament and and play our way into the tournament. Right now, I'm not convinced. I think our, our destiny is NIT. <laughs> if we're even, you know, if that's, are we still even, are we a bubble team for the NIT at this point? Um, but I, mean, I, I, I want, I want to get an, can, an NIT invite. We can do it. Yeah. I, I want it. I want an NIT invite. You want postseason play. I'd love to see David DeJulius get a few more games. 
But yeah, the reality well, is there's I, a, there's I don't a reality know. there to that too, is that we are going to have players coming back next year and some young players. This is a young, we have a young bench and we need to get the bench some real, some more action, you know, give them some action against some quality opponents. Um, anybody in NIT is probably gonna be better than any of the bottom barrel of the AAC we've been playing. Uh, I would hope at least, but I think we need to get them. We need to get Reed, Reed and scaling some more, some more action. Um, we need to get these guys, you know, I don't know. I, I want to see them play. I don't mind the approach with reading skillings. I feel like skillings has played within himself a bit more recently. He's not settled for the same terrible shots. He's not looking to do it on, on his own with off the dribble moves and finishes at the rim that he's, that he's not built for. And he also had, you know, he had a remarkable first half against temple just a few short games ago. And, and we've seen his three point shot come around with, uh, with shot selection, like his percentage is going up on the back of being a more, a more prudent shooter and just not, not chucking everything. And instead being more selective with the shots you actually take. And so you see his three point percentage just over a few short games go from, I think 20% to now 28%. And on its face, 28% sounds terrible. I promise you when you can, when you consider where it was and what shots he was taking, I think that, Daniel Skillings has gotten the message recently that, um, you know, his, he can't do everything off the dribble that he would have done in high school. This isn't high school. You can't do the same moves and you need to put the work in, in the off season to get stronger, to get bigger, to get the handle tighter. And also realize like, even when you do drive and attack the rim, it's not always to score. It's not always to put up a shot yourself. It is sometimes to attract the defense and learn how to kick the ball out so there's a lot of growth that's needed there. He's gotten some valuable minutes. He's still playing double-digit minutes in all of these conference games. Reed, not so much. But we are going to be looking for serious development from those young guys as we head into a conference next season where I think seven teams currently are rated higher than Memphis and Ken Palm in the Big 12 alone. You're seeing 11 teams in the Big 12 that are ranked higher than Bearcats, the Bearcats' best win of the season in Central Florida. Next season's going to be a gauntlet and Memphis is a much better representation of, of the types of teams we're going to run into game in game out. We've talked about that in nauseum. These games seem to be building up in terms of pressure more and more because of the fact that we're having such a hard time winning them. And the reason, if any, that we're so disappointed about not winning on the road at Memphis, which is always going to be a tough game. That's not a loss that you look at West Miller and say, what the hell are you doing? You know, it's more of a, it shucks, you know, we just played an entire season subject, you know, a, a conference tournament aside where we did not get a quote unquote big win. You know, you can, you can call the road win at central Florida, a big win. I suppose it's not, you know, we didn't beat Memphis. We didn't beat Ohio state. We didn't beat Arizona. We didn't beat Xavier. We didn't beat Houston. This is, this is another empty season overall in terms of, of t- in terms of getting a big win and getting sort of a signature win. So West Miller's got one of those right now in two years with the Bearcats. And, and that leaves Cincinnati right now heading into senior night against SMU, 19 and 11 on the season. They've got one more opportunity here to get the 20 wins. And then we'll see what happens in the conference tournament. And, you know, we're obviously going to have a chance to talk about the season at large once it wraps up. So I don't want to necessarily jump the gun there. But in terms of what we just saw against think, Memphis think, and where things have trended here at the end of the season, do you 
where where are I, things for you right now from a big picture standpoint? Yeah, I was going to say, I think we can talk about the season where it's at right now, even though it's not not over. You know, you brought up the point of all the you, – you, you rattled off all the big names. I think what we're, we're saying there is – what you're saying there is we had – you know, we did this schedule for as, as cupcake as it was, did feature shots on it. It featured opportunities to get a big win, to pull off some upsets, and we came up with a goose egg in every single one of those games. But if I'm looking back at Northern Kentucky, the one of the worst nights of my life, uh, losing to Northern Kentucky, uh, just one of the worst nights of your life. Terrible. Worst nights. One of the like, are we talking top ten, top five? It's it's up there with like losing to Nevada. It's to me that was terrible. We lost to another can smaller. We, can we go through the Hummers top rival. five list for worst nights of your life? And let's just leave it to like the sports worst night, night nights of your lives. Like we don't have to make this a therapy session necessarily, but what are, what are your top five worst nights as a Bearcat fan? Well, you have to do Cincy fan. It's obviously uh, Kenya Martin breaking, breaking leg. Like that was national championship written all over it. That's number five. That's number one. We're going, well, let's we're go, you going. gotta, you always go five to one. You just, you know, you buried that's I, okay. I only, one to five. Do it. Do what you do. Do what you do. Kenny yeah, Martin breaking his leg. Worst. Worst day of Hummer's life. He got out of school and he was sobbing on his, on his mom and dad's shoulders. Brutal, brutal day and and night for Bearcat fans. Even though you were what sixth grade. Yeah, sixth grade. Uh, life could only get better from that moment, uh, and it did for a little while. Um, second worst night as a Cincinnati fan. Uh, another broken. Another broken leg, I guess, or torn 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 ligament being that of of mr carson palmer that team was destined for the super bowl that's and, what Ke- it, that's what kevin wallace of the post would say he would say they were destined for the super bowl and carson palmer was destined to be a generational quarterback Please, 100%, much better than direct all much complaints better than the guy all complaints to the post cincy for that one much a much better quarterback than the guy who tore his his same ligaments but then actually went to the Super Bowl the following year. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. Um, <laughs> so that one's terrible. Uh, Nevada is is honestly probably three. Mm. Honestly, mm. I want I have to give uh, the following year, coming back and following that up with the terrible loss to Iowa State, that was also, like, very gross to me as well. It was Iowa, but that's a – wow, that's a top Iowa. five. I don't, they're not, it's not that brutal here. I mean, Cincinnati basketball, I mean, we've gone out our way in a tournament, but sometimes I, we take a step back and realize how hard it is to win. What about to, losing to, to Harvard? Final like, four? Losing to Harvard was far worse than losing to Iowa. I just hated Iowa because I had high expectations for that team again. You know, I thought, I thought that we had a pretty good squad still that year to, to get wiped out by a, a middling Iowa team while we're, while I'm in Italy, you know, just wanting to suck back some some Peronis and I have to watch this garbage on a janky internet connection. And, and it was just a terrible day. The, I maintain the, the circumstances that made it a terrible day. I maintain that the Bearcat fan base was irrationally mad at that Iowa loss and that it was actually leftover anger and frustration and and just pure angst over the Nevada loss. That's all that was. And honestly, I'm not. I'm actually probably not. I'm not even going to disagree with you. I think that's where this comes from. That it, it was terrible. Um, 
Northern Kentucky stems from that because frankly, you're Northern Kentucky. Okay. Um, I, I don't know how else to, to talk bad about Northern <laughs> Kentucky, except to say like you're Northern Kentucky. Like, are you even in Newport? Like, are you, are you close to Newport? Where's where it, what is the definition of Northern Kentucky? Is it, does it end somewhere? Does it begin somewhere? Like is Northern Kentucky Lexington? I don't know. It could be right. Is who's your rivalry? Is it Western Kentucky? Is it central Florida? Do you, do you have a, is there a North Florida that you rival with the way Cincinnati does center? I don't know. And I don't really care, but that was a terrible day. But my going back to that main point is Northern Kentucky, Arizona, Ohio state. I think that was one of the first times we've, we've witnessed losing three straight games in a row in a very, very long time. And then, yeah, we played a horrible, horrible Louisville team. Like I can't even say the next three wins were like, great like yay you beat bryant you beat northern new jersey or new jersey institute of technology yay um you know it's just what i didn't see was back-to-back losses again until two very good squads or one very good squad one okay squad memphis i think i saw a team that improved it sort of kind of started getting an identity on offense uh, when they weren't being overwhelmed by the talent of the talents of the likes of Memphis, Houston, and Tulane. Uh, they were passing the ball. They were getting assists. They were making the extra pass. They were they were penetrating the lane. You were seeing, you know, some leadership from David DeJulius, some leadership from David DeJulius. I think we were seeing the team trend in the right direction. I still think we are. It's just at times we're inconsistent and we go back to that habit of wanting to play hero ball, of Landers Nolly chucking up a three-pointer at the end of the UCF game in attempt to avoid overtime instead of just taking the extra three steps into the lane, trying to put up a floater and maybe drawing a foul for the, for the free, for the free point to, to end the game. You know, that, that kind of stuff, I think we've seen that decrease throughout the year. So that's something that I, I take as a positive. I take that as it's also a sign that, you know, as much as I know everybody's saying this to an extent, you know, there is a cast of characters that we have on this team. There are limitations to it, but, I also look at it and say, how are we not, how do we not have better talent than East Carolina? How do we not have better than Tulane? That these are games where in the past we do, we do, we would just we would just sit there and say, this is a no brainer. We're going to win this. The Bearcats had the opportunity this year to have a two seed in our tournament to have a first round bye, and we blew it because we lost to Tulane and East Carolina. I still think we technically get a first round bye um, as a five seed, which I think is where we're likely to finish at this point. Maybe well, four. You, you know what you know what I mean. The I know what you said. Just, it's like psychological too. It's like a it's the, it's a psychological too. That's what the two represented to me. And with seven games left in the season, heading into the stretch against UCF, Tulane, South Florida, East Carolina, UCF, Temple, Memphis, and SMU, it it, it to me looked like hey, this team has an opportunity to carry these these back to back wins against Tulsa and UCF. I misspoke before. The stretch started with Tulane carry those into a, to a, a finishing stretch of five and two or six and one that leads them to potentially getting the two seed in the conference tournament, which, you know, I don't, I don't really care necessarily what it meant in terms of ramifications for the American athletic tournament. It was about what that would have represented for Wes Miller in his second year. It would have represented a clear and decisive step forward as a program. It would have represented winning a couple games that we maybe shouldn't have or um, maximizing conference play and maybe only losing to, to our toughest opponents. And that's something that 
you know, would have been frustrating to an extent if the Bearcats had, had finished the season without beating a Memphis, a Houston, a Xavier, and so forth. But it's something that we could have we could have also pointed to and said, hey, but we also finished with a decisive record in the American Athletic, a conference that does have inferior talent, a conference that we do match up well in terms of our own talent level. And it does show that Wes Miller is able to push this team from point A to point B very clearly. And instead, you know, they'll finish, let's say they finish the season and, and close out against SMU, finish 20 and 11. Yes, it's a 20-win season, but it's a very empty and hollow 20-win season. And I would I would challenge anyone out there to, to find a 20-win season that has less cachet than the one we're living in right now. That doesn't mean there haven't been improvements. There have. I think actually, despite the Tulane loss and despite the East Carolina loss, this team has been clearly playing better basketball. Tulane was ghastly in terms of how they executed down the stretch, but also in general. It was it was peak run and gun, jack three-pointers, no real aggression or putting pressure on the defense. Since that moment, Wes Miller has gotten this team to be more have a more consistent and disciplined offensive approach. They have worked the ball inside more, and that's why you have seen the the Oguamasants that we've seen over the last six games. Where did you just coin that? That's off the dome, my friend. The Oguamasants. Nice. He's, he's been good. He's been very good, and and you're starting to see the team work the ball inside more frequently, not be as as you know casual or undisciplined with the types of three-pointers they take. We still take a solid amount of three-pointers, but they tend to be much more in rhythm. And Daniel Skillings is an example of that. You know, Nolly is going to be Nolly, but you're, you're seeing the team be a little more discerning in terms of how they approach things. So I do think we have, you've actually seen that, but then there's been the frustration of, Hey, this team doesn't actually know how to close out games. And that has been a recurring theme. That's certainly something that West Miller is going to have to find out how to improve with his teams moving forward, that is an area for improvement from a coaching standpoint. Um, but yeah, you know, if, if if this team didn't blow that Tulane game, didn't blow that East Carolina game, and closes out against SMU, you'd be looking at a finishing stretch, um, taking the Bearcats to a finishing record of twenty-two and nine. And you know, nobody in their right mind is going to say, you know, that was a that was underachieving by a significant margin. You wouldn't, even with the NKU loss. But instead, I think you you can say with the number of bad losses on our record this season that we did actually underachieve during the regular season. This season is what is defining right now me for UC athletics, which is meh. What's next. Right. That's, that's what it's, what it has me saying. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to watch the games. I'm going to be excited. If we get to the NIT, you know what? Screw it. If we win, hang the banner. All right. Hang it. Display it proudly. Uh, just do so in a very tiny corner in, you know, an area of the gym that you can't really see. You know? <laughs> hang it hang like, it proudly, but do so somewhere I can't actually see it. So like, go put it in the library. Of what we actually right. did this year. Yeah, yeah. Put it in the library, like up on like the third, fourth floor. I think there might be a fourth floor, third floor. There's a little area there where they have these private little cubbies where you see a lot of the graduate students would study. Uh, put it right there, right? Where no one goes. No one's going to see it. Okay, just just put it there. Um, very proudly, put it there. <laughs> Fitting. I agree. I agree. Let's push as hard as we possibly can for the NIT. 
after it happens and no matter how it finishes, put it somewhere back there and, and get rid of it after uh, the next remodel. Let me, we are talking about this season from a very. The NIT is the pre pre NIT. It's just a never ending pre pre NIT. <laughs> yeah. It's our first, it's our first non-conference. The, the one, you know, during, during the beginning of the year. Yeah, it's the, well, it's our first preseason tournament of 2023-24. That's what the NIT is. It's a it's a preseason tournament for that following season to build some hype and momentum, and kind of we're it's like eating ginger. We're just cleansing the palate. We're getting rid of the the ugly memories of the regular season in 22-23, and we are leaving it behind with the strong NIT performance. That's that's you the know, goal. You know what the beauty of cleansing your palate with ginger is is it's disgusting. I love right? ginger. Oh God, it makes me cringe. As soon as it hits my mouth, I'm like, why did I put this in there? She's probably not going to like me disclosing this on a podcast, but my wife does like eating like not the expensive stuff, but the cheap stuff, the cheap sushi. She likes eating each piece with a little piece of ginger on it. Oh, that Julia does that too. And the wasabi. No, thank you. Mm, gotta have the wasabi that see that's a, that also just clears the nasals, clears the nasal passages, which I could use right now. I'm going to go downstairs and eat a glob of wasabi right after this. We've been talking about the season here at the end of the pod in a very, um, almost like it's happened, almost like it's over, like it's done, like it's finished. And it's not, there is a senior night left to be played. And Wes Miller came out and said today that there would actually only be three players that are going to be honored or participate in the senior night festivities. Those players would be David DeJulius, Kalua Zikbe, and Rob Finnessy. Those are the only players intending to partake in the senior night festivities. Well, what does that mean for the other seniors, Zach, is what you might be thinking right now. Nope. Justin Williams tweets, in regard to four- and five-year players with eligibility remaining after this season, i.e. Landers Nolly, Jeremiah Davenport, Micah Adams-Woods, John Newman, potentially, Wes Miller says he wants all of them back next season, but those conversations and decisions will be made after the year is over. I didn't mention Odio Guama. He is one of those players. John Newman III is not technically one of those players, but he is going to be applying for a medical red shirt. And Wes Miller did make clear that he does think John Newman will be back next season in a Bearcat uniform. Those are interesting comments, Hummer. And I uh, I think you can go in a couple of different directions with them. And maybe I'm jumping the gun with calling them interesting. Let me just ask I you, what are your thoughts on these comments about the senior night festivities as it pertains to our one year of eligibility left guys like Jeremiah, Shuey, Oguama, and we'll throw in Newman too. I want to start with what what really grinds my gears, uh, as we've said in the past with, in reference to uh, Peter Griffin, but it's starting to really irritate me listening to the commentary of the common man like myself who who's immediately out there saying we need to get rid of X college basketball player. We need to get rid of these guys. We need to get rid of these guys. Like, like it's just, it's some, some easy thing that the, you know, these are disposable human beings in an era where this is still college basketball. There, there's a lot of guys on this team who are not pulling in 
a ton of money to be, you know, quote unquote, professional basketball players. If you would, you know, we don't have a lot of Zion Williams on this squad, which we wouldn't want him to leave anyway, but you know, who are going to pull in more in college their senior year than they are or their only year than they are their first year of being an NBA pro. Right. Like there's a different level in my mind of, of college professional quote college professional athlete that we have on this squad. And I don't, I'm not really here to say I want someone to not be back. If Wes Miller, if that's the direction he wants to take the team, he thinks they're going to be a fit. They're going to be productive. Great. And I, and, and I applaud him honestly, because that's how you should talk about it. You should say, I want all these guys back because you don't want a coach really coming out and saying, and just throwing his players under the bus. Meeting and saying, yeah, you know what? I don't, I don't want, I don't want Javenport back. You know, that's, that's a decision. It's not going to be his. I'm just going to go flat up right now and tell him, you know, you're not, you're not going to be a Bearcat here next year, son. Just go under the portal. No, let him have that conversation, how he's going to behind the scenes, if he is having it at all, which is, Hey, I see a role for you on this team. It just may not be what you, what you want. This is what I see. And then let the, let the player make the decision of what they want to do. I'm fine with that. But when I'm hearing all this negativity of like, oh, I want this person gone and naming, you know, three people off the bill. I want Ma gone. I want JD gone, you know, and blah, blah, blah. Okay. We've also seen like, well, let's go to the portal. We'll replace them in the portal. We've seen the portal story. Sometimes it doesn't work out. It could be worse. It could be. (laughs) But we also are going to have some. We're going to have some spots to fill regardless next year. We know that there will be transfers. We got only got two. We got two recruits coming in, right? And we got three, three open, three open scholars coming up with just the seniors. So we know there's room for at least one portal guy. So we know. We oh, my point is we know there's going to be roster spots that are opening up, and I just want to see how it shakes out. I want to see who who's going to decide to return, who's not going to decide to return, and what this roster is going to be. That's half the fun of college basketball. I think we forget about that. We used to enjoy this part of like, okay, this is our squad. Who are we adding next year? Who are we going to add to build this thing up? So right now there are three commitments for 2023. We've got Jizzle James. We've got um, Day Day Thomas, junior college point guard. And then you've got Rayvon Griffith. There were, as, as Wes put it, there are three guaranteed departures right now with Kalua Zikbe. The swap uh, in. David DeJulius and the last one, which of course I'm blanking out on all of a sudden. Kalu is it uh Kalu is Zikbe, David DeJulius, who is my third? Who did I just say Rob just Finnessy. a minute ago? Rob Finnessy. So they're all those three are departing, three out, three in. If Aguama, Davenport, Shuey and and Nolly. Nolly's the one I didn't mention just now, by the way, that, that I should have, who's a guy who could technically come back for another year. If all of those guys decide to return, you don't have any other roster spots to go after players. So realistically, I I hear what you're saying, Hummer, but I would also look at it and say college basketball, college football is more business than it has ever been before players are getting paid on the team now the transfer portal is about hey what can you offer me at your program not in terms of minutes not in terms of opportunity to win no what can you offer me in terms of a salary air quotes and with that being the case and with Wes Miller entering his third season as head basketball coach in a position where there's going to be more pressure than ever to start winning 
and to start seeing on-court results, I'm not sure how he could really be in a position where he would want to run it back with the exact same squad plus less experienced talent. I don't really see how that makes sense for the health and for the for the for the for restoring this basketball program back to its winning ways. So to one extent, I understand why in public with games left on the schedule, Wes Miller has to say what he wants to say, has has to say what he has to say in terms of would love to have them all back. I'm not sure you have to go that far. It's like the it's like praising Jeremiah Davenport's shot selection. Do you have to say I love the shots he takes? Or can you say our guys have options and we're going to review all of those options at the end of the season? Because at the end of the day, like, uh, let me just ask you this. If Wes Miller wasn't on public record and was just evaluating these guys and saying, I've got multiple players who have played four years of college basketball. They've already played as much college basketball as any historical college basketball player would have played. But because of the COVID year, they do have a bonus year available to them if they want it. Do you think he does truly mean what he's saying there? that he does want all four of these guys to return, no questions asked? When I'm looking at our roster right now, I see one, two, three, four, five seniors. You've missed into three. Landers, not, Landers Nolly the second, and John Newman the third being the other two. If you ask me this year if I want Landers Nolly and John Newman on next year's squad, emphatically I'm saying yes. I'm saying yes to both those guys, Right. Are there is there value to be had further down the lineup where we're sitting there saying, do we want these guys to come back? And I think we're specifically pointing to Jeremiah Davenport and Mike Adams Woods. Those are the names that everybody throws out of saying immediately get them off the team. It's almost like, ah, oh, let them go, cut them, cut them, cut them, you know, cut them. Like, all right, guys, let's let's take let's take a step back. You know, there's still room for a improvement from Jeremiah Davenport, and that mainly comes down to a shot selection. The guy is he's still talented. He still has some he he has some stuff that he can improve on. He, he kind of is talent. what he is. He kind of is what he is. He's a guy who can get hot, doesn't defend well, doesn't make plays for others, does okay rebounding positionally, but he's I, I don't really see his game evolving much beyond this. I've and that's something. Well, I mean, is he, I, can, he, can, he, Jeremiah can, he yeah. can can Jeremiah Davenport defend at the Big 12 level? Dude, none of these players on this entire roster in any way, shape, or form would play on any of the rosters of the teams that are ranked higher than Memphis in their starting five, except maybe Victor Walken. He is maybe the only Big 12 player we actually have on this roster. And at this point, unless we keep – well, I'm gonna, let me rephrase that. We got two guys that – we got guys that could develop. We don't know what Dan Skilling's – you know, what, what he, he can turn out to be. We don't know what Josh Regan tried to be. Landers Nolly might end up being like, he would probably be a sixth guy on a big 12 roster. Um, Odio Guama has been, has been good late, but even him, I, I don't think he's starting on any of these big 12 rosters that are ranked higher than, than Memphis that you mentioned the seven, the seven squads, but we're also not the type of program or school where we have the resources to cut every single player, but Victor Locken and say, all right, guys, who, who wants the biggest paycheck to come play in Cincinnati? So we, that's off the table. We really we have, have no idea. Through, I don't know what kind of school we are, what kind of resources we have. I, th I think I we'll think kind of find out based on what happens at the portal. I think that's true. And I think there's a little bit of a hybrid aspect here where we're recruiting and we're going to replace these guys that are, that are leaving on the four-year cycle. And honestly, I'm kind of happy we went to the JUCO, JUCO route. 
right? This is this is something that's been successful in UC's past, recruiting from the JUCO ranks. So let's get do back it. to our roots. Get back to our roots, baby. Get some guys that are hungry to get that that chance at the next level up. Um, so th- I think the next year's pain is honestly going to come from the youth that we have on this squad, as opposed to the the elder statesmen that we've seen the pain come from as of late. I, I think we're going to have guys that are probably going to be able to contribute, hopefully immediately. Uh, if they can adjust to the game, we want to see these stud, these stud four star recruits hit the court, but I think they might struggle because they are freshmen. I think that's where the pain of next year is going to come. Cause we're going to have to see skillings take a step. Even Reed who didn't get a lot of playing time this year, the freshman, he got, he got some minutes, but it's not like he was, you know, skillings, you know, out, out minute him two to one, three to one. Um, but those guys are going to have to take big steps. And if we don't see it, it's a youth problem that we're going to have on this squad, as opposed to the elder statesmen that we've been accustomed to blowing these games for us lately. It's also worth noting. Those are great points about the youth next season. You, I love, I have a lot of excitement about Jizzle and Rayvon and Day Day, but the, but the former two with, with uh, Jizzle and Rayvon, they're going into the big 12 as freshmen. So for the the shock you see from Skillings and Reed in terms of how difficult it's been to adjust from high school to college, it's going to be even more difficult for Jizzle and Rayvon next season. We'll see how ready they actually are, but that's a big ask of freshmen in the toughest basketball conference in the country. We're talking about this through the prism of... We're acting like oh, the Big 12 is the NBA. Though. Come on, it's still college hoops. It is still college hoops. It's a higher level of college hoops. And I think you just need to turn on some big 12 games to to see that. I I understand that, but I'm saying we also, we don't know. We just, we also don't know what we got. Some recruiting is also hit or miss, right? Uh, Why am I blanking on the best Bearcat to to walk through here, play one year and go to LSU? Tari Eason. Tari Eason, right? Guy was a stud. He would have been ready to play big 12 basketball day one. If he, if he was used right. Well, but he also wouldn't be playing Big 12 basketball. He's in the NBA right now and thriving. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Not that I'm saying that these two guys are bringing in are immediately NBA studs, but they might they might surprise us. They might come in and be ready to play at a higher level of higher than the AAC. Maybe that's part of the recruiting is that we were able to get these two guys because of their, their skill set and because we we're going to the Big 12. You know, I don't want to leave credence that going to the Big 12 is immediately going to increase recruiting, but they're look, we went to the big East and, you know, Huggins recruited, Mick recruited, right. It's all about who you're playing for. I think at times this is college basketball. It's a lot different than football where the sec just gets the bulk of the recruits in basketball. They kind of get spread out more. There's more parity top to bottom. Um, so is there room for since to go and eat? Absolutely. There's but there's also, there's us. also the ability to overcome talent deficits too. Like that's what great college basketball coaches can do. They take, their pieces and turn them into something even greater than what they look like individually. That's what we haven't seen from West so far. It's what I hope he can prove us wrong about as we enter the big 12 is, is figuring out a way to extract the maximum in the future. I also think we're, we're, we're misguided in assuming that the only transfer portal action on this team will come down to guys who have one year of eligibility left. We've seen how the transfer portal shakes out. There are guys on this roster who could be portal threats who have more than one year of eligibility left. So there's a lot to still be determined. I'm not going to overreact to these comments. If we're going to circle back to what the comments actually were, I think this is what a coach says 
when he wants to make sure the guys are bought in and playing hard through the finish line. But you when it comes, who, uh, my dark horse transfer for us is who's that? Jared Hensley. Yeah, I don't think he's much of a dark horse based on what the minutes look like. If he wants to play basketball and get real minutes, he's going to have to do so at at a different university. It would seem he's just. He's not, I mean, I'm not he's saying not, I want him to. I'm just saying for Oh, no, no. Leads. I know. I'm talking about just looking at what the minutes distribution looks like and him being essentially an odd man out. There's a lot of it's crowded at his position. There's not a clear path for for consistent playing time. And at some at some point, a guy might say, Hey, I'd rather go play at a different university, maybe a different level, to make sure that I'm spending my college days playing basketball and getting on the court and having fun and having that experience. So yeah, he's certainly a guy that it wouldn't shock me if it happened, but I think there's a lot still to shake out. I think that Wes Miller, knowing where he's at mentally with this program, knowing the pressure he's going to start feeling next season, I think he'll again have some pretty candid conversations about what's next for these guys, where would be the best opportunity for them for that last year of eligibility and, um, and maybe giving him some more flexibility come portal season. But one thing I will say I'm not afraid of of that turnover and of adding talent through the portal. Like that's the current state of college basketball. Huggins just completely resuscitated West Virginia through the portal. Tang at Kansas State just completely resuscitated the Kansas State basketball program through the portal. You're seeing it more and more. You can turn things around quickly by making the right moves and hitting on the right guys. It's just really about talent identification and resources and maximizing those resources against the talent you can actually get here. I guess my question to you is from a, we are a guard heavy roster. We, in my opinion, lack size, meaningful size at, at, at a lot of the, you know, the, the guard position as well. You know, we, we got Victor Locken who's turning out to be, you know, I think one of the best at his position in college basketball, he's, he's turning out to be really good. Uh, Odie Obama is serviceable. You know, he's, he's really proven to be serviceable. Are you going more, more size? Are you going a better, we need like, say we only have two, two portal spots open. Let's say hypothetically we do have uh, uh, Jared Hensley. He, he's hit the portal. Who else, who else would we see? Let's say, let's say, you have, let's, let's say, say let's Adams say you have, let's say you have Odio Guama, Odio Guama returns and Micah Adams Woods returns. And let's say Hensley, Nolly, and, and Hensley, Nolly, and Davenport don't return. Let's say that's what you, the you scenario is. Take, you think Nolly's taking the, taking the third, third, third team in three years? I really don't know. Well, technically, we are the third team. Technically, he would be going to his fourth team. Well, I'm 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 saying with the with the only two spots. Let's go with say just for two for the sake of argument. Two spots are open, and yeah, say Nolly and and Jared. We, it doesn't. It doesn't. Guys. We don't even have to name names. Who's leaving? Who's not? I we need size. We need size, and that's why when I power rank the order of which you'd like to see a guy return, I think initially I put Nolly over Oguama. I think I'm changing that right now to Oguama being the best player to have come back to Cincinnati based on. A, knowing his role. B, being a big man who has figured out how to finish around the rim, who is active defensively, who does hustle nonstop, 
who is just a great team guy. You never see Odio Guama lagging. You never really see him making bad decisions. And honestly, as of the last six games, you've seen him get rid of the yips and learn how to put a shot up around the hoop. So to me, size is the most important. After that, I would add even more depth because you lose Kalua Zikpe. Sage Tolentino is likely not going to be ready to make a huge leap his sophomore season. Um, or redshirt season. It se- seems like it's going to be a sophomore season. We burned him for eight minutes. Um, to me, it's, it's all about it's all about size for the Bearcats. They need size. They need guys to to give support to Victor Locking because the reality is we're so so overly reliant right now on Victor Locking's health. If he goes out, it's it's razor thin the margin we have in the front court right now. So to me, depth at the big man position. Full stop. Four and five is the most critical thing for the Bearcats in the offseason. I wish we I wish we had a soundboard where you did when you said that could go. Oh no, we suck again. <laughs> uh, but then then have you edit it in and say, oh no, we still suck. <laughs> I believe I believe after that you called it the line of demarcation. Uh, I believe it's how you how you put that down uh in terms of the power rankings of, of guys. You said guys who can come back, but we're not yet sure. We're not sure we want them power rankings. Uh, Landers, and you had, like you, said, you did, you had Landers first, Odie, which you switched. Then it said the line of de- demarcation. Um, so now uh, we're in the demilitarized zone heading heading into North Korea. Uh, you're looking at Micah Adams, Woods, and Jeremiah Davenport. Yeah, Adams I Woods. Think, I Adams, think Woods, Adams is here. I think he's honestly. Back. I think I, the line of demarcation could potentially go after him, but the the point is that those Nolly and Odie to me have more clear cut roles on this team. I would say Nolly is not as big of a loss as people think. His scoring is nice, but he's very prone to turnovers. He doesn't defend very well, and I think that his production is largely replaceable in the portal or, or with someone else, be it skillings, be it read. Like, I think you could see guys take steps forward and replace the production we get from Nolly. And whereas that's not, that's not as obvious with Odio Guama. You know, we, we have had much less success landing bigs in the portal. And I think that we're not the only program in the country that wants to land a really good big. And so you're going to see rabid competition for those big men. You're going to see huge bags dropped and if we can secure a guy like Odio Guama and keep at least that depth, the Sage, Victor Locken, and Odio Guama depth at the front court, you do it. So to me, Odio Guama is my lock of the season for coming back to the Cincinnati Bearcats. He's the guy that I'm absolutely unequivocally sure will be back in a Bearcats uniform. Put it on a shirt. Uh, put Mike Adams Woods on a shirt. He's coming back. There's no way he's not. There we go. We've each made a prediction. Those are the two guys. So if, if, if Cincy Slangen's right, the two guys we feel most confident in coming back next season are going to be Micah Adams-Woods and Odie Aguama. What happens from there, we'll see. That's what makes it intriguing. That's what will make it fun to talk about in the Cat Skeller Social Club Discord and I mean, I'm on gonna, the podcast. I think, I think Jeremiah Davenport is coming back, too. I think these are two guys that are coming back. Jeremiah Davenport, he he actually took the – I don't want to keep harping on him because we know he, hasn't, he did not have – uh, a great season. He actually regressed in a in a meaningful way from last year. Uh, Mike Adams Woods took a what doesn't appear to be a leap forward, but he he actually took a pretty pretty 
he took a leap. I'd say he took a big step, right? He, he Mike Adams has been step. much better this season. Yeah, absolutely. He, his turnover, his turnover, he turned the ball over a little bit more than normal, but he he played more minutes. He was more selective with his shots. He was he was hitting more. He was hitting shots at a higher hitting clip. hitting way more shots this year. Um, you know, his and everything else was pretty much stable there. He's he's always kind of been, you know, for lack of better terms, one of the better ball handlers on the team ever since he arrived in 2019. You know, this doesn't turn the ball over that much. That's Mike Adams right. Woods would be the ideal backup point guard in the Big 12. Steady yeah. ball handler, not looking for him to do too much, can knock down an open shot. There's a, there's a role for a guy like that. Is he your perfect world scenario for a point guard or a shooting guard in the Big 12? Absolutely not. But he is a known commodity. There's a lot of trust there. There's a lot of certainty about what you're getting. And you know, you, you're not always certain that you can get better in the portal. So to me, Shuey is not a disaster. Um, if if he does use that next year of eligibility, there, there's ways to implement him in an effective way in next year as a sort of a stopgap and a transition to to more talent and, and different, more explosive talent in the future. Yep. And, and, you know, when it comes to, I think Jeremiah Davenport with his, the minutes he's getting the usage, I, I don't know if they're just what, if they have trouble getting to his head, if he literally just gets better, takes better shot selection is he's instantly, he instantly, he instantly takes a leap. Uh, he's he's and, not going to take yeah, a leap. Defense, Hummer. He's not going to take down, a leap. He's not, I but, don't know what to say. Like how many times do we have to say like, this guy's not going to change who he is. He he took, you know, against Memphis, the league gets down to six. Bearcats get a stop. He takes a flat-footed three from like 24 feet, airballs it. Next possession, yeah. defensively, gives up the offensive rebound. It gives up, gives up the score. Like the guy, I'm sorry, it, it led to an open three, which then extended the lead to nine. The guy just doesn't get it, right? He's a, he's a shot maker. He has his moments. He can get hot. But defensively, he doesn't get it. And offensively, he doesn't get it. And he's four years in. This guy has played four years of college basketball. Wes Miller has not shown an ability to know how to rein Jeremiah Davenport in or how to get the absolute most out of Jeremiah Davenport. And because of that, that's the guy I don't think we want to see again in the Bearcat uniform just based on what his style of play looks like in a Wes Miller system. No, thank you. So those are the conversations I hope are happening behind the scenes. And if Wes Miller does think that's what's best for the program, that's a conversation for a different day. Cause I think it communicates something much more concerning. Ooh, mark it down folks. That is a another Coomer Wes Miller burn. <laughs> it wasn't a bird. <laughs> I'm saying it's if, a pre-burn. It it's is an if clause. It's an if he's clause. A, he's setting up the pre-burn. He's setting it up. To, he's setting up for disappointment. He's going to be like, "Told you so." This man is a disaster. I'm laying he's the ground, running us into the bridge. Don't, don't give up the game, <laughs> Hummer. I don't have much more to talk about right now on the Bearcat front, but I did want to share with you my Jeff Ruby's experience, and right. that's that's because. Over the years, you have raved about these establishments. You've talked at length about the proper way to eat the burrow, whether the crawfish needs to be on the side or on the top. And here's the steak. And here's here's how you. I heard you order steaks medium rare plus. By the way, is that true? You order medium rare plus steaks. Yeah, who doesn't? 
explain yourself. Like, how, what does that even mean? Medium rare plus. Just order medium. You want it a Just little, order medium. You want it, I don't want it medium. Right. So when you get it medium rare, sometimes on the big thicker steaks, especially like, you know, a nice 16 ounce. I know they're not 16 ounce of Jeff Ruby's, but you know, you get these nice big pieces of filet and the interior is just absolutely raw from the medium rare. And so you go medium rare plus, just take it up slightly a little bit and it's beautiful. Also lately, as I get older, too much, too much info here, my stomach is sensitive to the rare of the meat. So I like, but I don't want it like, I don't want it fully cooked. So like medium is just too cooked. Like it's dry. It's disgusting. Uh, you know, they have to burn it because half the time they, you know, they don't really know. How, they don't have the time to cook a medium steak the right way. Well, my wife likes, she, she was, she went medium, well done steaks. It was terrible. Right. And so slowly I've had to get her down, down the ladder. How I used to do is I would make steak, but when we ate the picture, us just like eating in the dark with flashlights, almost, you know, by candlelight eating by candlelight so she can't tell that the steak is actually slightly pink in the middle but the trick is it also takes 45 minutes to cook her steak that way because it's low and slow i i think it would be funnier if you started ordering your steaks as medium minus i think you need to order them as medium minus from now on not medium rare plus order them as medium minus that's all beside the point i have not been to a ruby's establishment for a couple reasons a it's very pricey but that goes hand in hand with my belief that steak is one of the easiest things to replicate high restaurant quality at home. You can buy top-notch quality meat. You, you buy a great cut. You season it well. And you you grill it perfectly. And you've got yourself an, a, a remarkable dinner. You have yourself a remarkable meal. And I find that to be less easy to replicate for things like sushi or Thai food or Vietnamese food. I'm a, I'm a big Asian food guy. Those things are more difficult for me to replicate than a great steak. However, we go to food club. We, we have a food club with some friends. I, I, I enjoy these friends' company. I, I like going to food club with them. And, and a good mutual friend of ours has the idea to do a Jeff Ruby's night on a Sunday night because there's a special going on. And that special was, let's say like a six ounce steak, six ounce filet, uh, cut a lot of lobster, mashed potatoes and some asparagus. And we decided to book it. We have our dinner there. It was at the precinct of all places. So this, this dinner was at the precinct service was fine. It's a little performative. It's a little over the top, but I could tell that's part of the Ruby's experience. I'm willing to, I'm willing to, to write that off, I'm willing to to look past that. It was a little much for me. It was a little performative. I'm willing to look past that. My wife decides to get the special, which I just outlined for you what that was. I decide to get a 16-ounce ribeye with mashed potatoes. However, they were out of mashed potatoes until they weren't out of mashed potatoes about 30 minutes later. And asparagus. Hummer. This food was bad. There's no other way to put it. The food from start to finish was bad. An insult to injury is how much money you're paying for said food. The salad was one of the worst dressed salads I've ever had in my life. 
it was a salad that I think you would get at a place like Olive Garden or Applebee's or Chili's where I don't know how fresh the, the, the leaves are or the lettuces or the tomatoes are because it's white. It's saturated in some sort of white ranch ish dressing, but I'm not there for the salad. Okay. So the salad I can write again, I can write it off. I can move past it because I'm not there for the salad. The salad isn't the make or break moment for this meal. The meal comes out and in front of me is this, what looked to be a beautiful 16 ounce steak with asparagus that was with very little seasoning on it from just looking at it. No mashed potatoes. I did also order the Brussels sprouts, which were fine. Hummer, the steak was way too salty. Okay. I order my start, my steaks rare or medium rare. I never order them rare when I eat out unless I really feel confident I felt confident in Jeff Ruby, so I thought that was a safe place to order rare. I did it. Oh, I'm oh. the seasoning was really not enjoyable. It was completely over seasoned. It was cooked. You know, I, it wasn't a rare wasn't executed well in this case. It's not that it was overcooked. It was almost like they didn't find the balance of how to cook a rare steak. Uh, it was almost like they it was it was closer to blue than it than it should have God, been. You're you're an animal. You're an animal. <laughs> Rare steak. Oh, I God. I I don't really want to go. I I'm I'm saying this to you now. It's probably coming across as less funny than I want it to be. The reality is, I just found it to be completely overhyped. I did not I did not particularly think it to be an exceptional steak. I did not leave there thinking, wow, I've never had something this good before. And maybe it's as simple as I went to the wrong location. Like maybe the precinct ain't it, but I don't know. I just did. I didn't, I couldn't, I can't wrap my head around the hype after this. So I hate, I hate to burst your bubble here because the hype has faded. In my opinion, we went there, we went to uh, Jags in Westchester uh, in January, early January. And once again, like same thing, we went there. I ordered, I actually went cheap too. I just ordered a New York strip. Um, normally I'm a filet guy. Um, Julia ordered the filet. We had a bottle of wine, you know, and we even had the 20% gift cards and the bill was just absolutely outrageous. Uh, but it was one of the first times I was like saying this and I felt like justified in my snobbiness, right? Like truly, truly justified in my snobbiness. And I was like, yeah, New York does steak better. <laughs> I used to tell every single person though in New York who would listen that Jeff Ruby's is this amazing steakhouse. You have to go. Like it's it's worth it's worth even a trip to Cincinnati to go to Jeff Ruby's, you know, better than anything in New York. But now that I've been going to Wolfgang's on a not crazy frequent basis, but like once a month I go to Wolfgang, Wolfgang Puck Steakhouse here in New York City. And not only is the steak not over seasoned, like you mentioned, like it's perfectly just salt and pepper. Nothing, that's no all Jeff you Ruby need is salt seasoning. and pepper what are we salt doing pepper. they also price it so like that every single person with every cut of meat they're targeting 16 ounces so if you order a filet it's a 16 ounce piece of meat and it was ten dollars cheaper for the steak wow. in new york city wow the wine was cheaper the steak was cheaper the bill was cheaper and i'm like what the heck is going on in this alternate universe where anything in new york is cheaper than something in cincinnati and that blew my mind away to the point where like after that meal is this is an annual thing we do 
And I was like, guys, next year, I, I don't think I want to go to Ruby's for this meal. I, I think I want to do Soto or something. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to go any further with the critique. I would just say it, it left me immensely disappointed. There, there's been so much conversation about what I'm missing out on over the years. And I just, I didn't experience something that was inordinate from, from a steak you might get at a very normal, much more normally priced, much more less prestigious. Um, unfortunate, huh? Unfortunate. Let me give you the tip. Let me give you the true tip. All right. You don't want to go to Jeff Ruby's anymore, which is fine. You can actually cook a steak, like you said, at home perfectly. Right. And it's not hard. And if you're too worried that you're going to mess it up, cheat, use a thermometer, use a meat thermometer, consistently check what the meat is of the temperature. Find yourself a little chart, right? They make them rare should be 120 to 125, right? Medium rare, 130, 135. Medium rare plus is a perfect 140, right? Right at the beginning of where they say medium should begin. That's where medium plus resides, medium rare plus. But either way, go get it. What do you like it? Just one that thermometer right before it hits it. Take it off. Take it off the grill. Put it on your plate. Enjoy. Yeah. Cook your other food beside it. Make a little risotto. Make a little make a little mushroom, mushroom sage risotto, right? Add a little lobster tail. Make your own Oscar style. It's fine. Oscar that's what's style happening. Is not hard. That's that's what's happening. That's how we bounce back this spring is is by making ourselves a nice steak meal at home. Get a little seafood. Get, get a few scallops. Go to your butcher, go to your butcher and go get a dry age cut. That's what Ooh. they that's get the dry edge cut and do just cook it yourself. There we go. There we go. Get that's what we're we're gonna have to do. That. Here's the, here's you get the T-bone, give your wife the filet, you cut out that new nice little strip there, and mwah. I would I would generally always give a restaurant a second chance, but here's the hard part. When your you dinner six hundred dollars when your dinner it. is I mean, to me it was it was three fifty walking out of there, and it that's not that's not a risk I'm willing to take again. And so Sorry, folks. Ruby's overrated. Ah, pains me to even say it, but let's leave it there, Hum. We'll come back. Go check out the Catskiller Social Club Discord. Check out Viva La Cats. Check out Go Beer Cats. But of course, stay listening to Cincy Slang. And it's great to have you back, buddy. Go Bear Cats. <laughs>